Welcome to the Freedom from Empty podcast, building strong, effective, resilient leaders and humans. My name is Booth Andrews, and I am your host. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. So when I was growing up, I wanted to be Spock from the Star Trek series, the original Star Trek series. So I'll date myself a little bit with that reference. Spock was admired by my primary caregiver and abuser as the ultimate role model. All logic, no emotion. Emotion was weak. Emotion would be exploited. I learned to use my mind. It was my greatest resource, and it was my safe place. If I could understand something in my brain, then I was able to remove the emotion, and more importantly to me, the vulnerability And I developed an incredible mental capacity and an intellectual muscle. At the same time, if I sound like I might have been an automaton, in some ways I was. One of the other things that I experienced growing up was the projection. If I did something wrong, I was told what I did, why I did it, and what I meant by it. And I still get angry as I think about the motives and meaning that were projected upon me by the people who were disciplining me for my behavior. They didn't want to hear what I had to say. And I still look back on the kind of sinister motives that were ascribed to my behavior with a little bit of of shock. And, you know, as I look at my own son, who at five years old was highly energetic and a little bit of a handful, but also with the biggest heart in the whole wide world, I can't imagine how people looked at me and thought that I was so ill-motivated in the things that I did as a child. So I lost my voice in two ways. First, I learned to hide my own voice, to put my feelings away, deep down inside me where they would not cause any trouble. And my voice was taken from me as I was railroaded into submission for every mistake that I made. And as I watch what is happening around us in the world today, and more particularly in our country at this time in our history, I get queasy and anxious and angry. How many times do we fail ourselves, each other, our community, and our country when we simply will not give people space? to be seen, and to be heard. We invalidate each other and our own human experience on a daily basis, in religion, in politics, and in everyday life. Some of the statements that I've seen or heard or observed just over the last few weeks in public, in community, on social media, things like, well, he's not protesting racism in this country, he's protesting the flag and the anthem. Well, she didn't have that experience, and if she did, she should have told it when it happened, but since she didn't talk about it when it happened, it didn't really happen, or it didn't happen that way, or it didn't cause any damage, or it shouldn't have caused any damage. He doesn't have the right to complain. Look at how much money he has. His life or her life is perfect. If that person wasn't lazy, they wouldn't need help with food and health care and housing. I'm the one who has the rough life. They don't have a hard life. They don't understand what hard is. Carrie Underwood actually, just in the last week, revealed that she'd gone through three miscarriages in a very short period of time, and even she said herself that she 
for the first three, well, for all three, she struggled to give herself permission. She actually wouldn't give herself permission to feel sad or angry because she has such a good life. And so she somehow believed she wasn't supposed to feel those things about those losses. And we give these messages to our children. When we're trying to manage their behaviors, we invalidate their feelings instead. Well, you shouldn't be angry. You can't be angry about that. You shouldn't be ungrateful. You shouldn't be afraid. You shouldn't be sad. We tell them repeatedly that they shouldn't feel this or they don't have, a, have the right to feel that or they can't feel something. But here's the problem. When we short-circuit ourselves, when we short-circuit our relationships, we short-circuit our capacity for healing and coming through all of the challenges that are life. And so what I'm saying is when we deny our emotions and we don't give them space to breathe and we deny the experience of other people, we are truly short-circuiting ourselves and our community. It is making us physically, mentally, and emotionally ill in every aspect of our lives. When I was, I guess it was the winter of 2015, and I'd been very ill off and on for several months. It was really the point at which my emotions had started to rise to the surface in my body in a way that I truly felt deep down inside of me that my cells had gone toxic because the emotions were coming now and I could not stop them. But it wasn't so much emotions rising to the surface and and say crying or screaming. It was literally felt like my emotions had released into my cells and it was making me sick. And I was getting ready to actually attend a training, a trauma-informed mindfulness training called Timbo, founded by Sue Jones. And I couldn't get on the plane to go to the training because I was sick. And not only was I a little sick, I had the flu plus bronchitis. And it was about the sickest I had ever been for at least a few days. My airway rattled when I breathed because there was so much stuff in my lungs. And so when I'd emailed Sue and said, I'm not going to make the training, can I come to a later one? She said, of course. And then she directed me to a book called When the Body Says No by Dr. And I'm going to butcher this, so I apologize. Gabor Mate, MD. And it's a book about the cost of hidden stress. And so essentially, this practicing physician who was in hospice care, I think, for about 25 years, started trying to understand the difference between people who present with cancer and other autoimmune and chronic and terminal diseases and the people that don't. And I'm again, I'm not going to get this exactly right, but you'll get the idea. So one of the the comments or one of the, the statements in the book is that pretty much every male dies with traces of colon cancer in his body. And so what the doctor was trying to understand was what makes certain people present. You know, not everybody who has the BRCA gene gets breast cancer. What is the difference that makes people present with chronic and terminal illness versus the people who have those same genetic dispositions or those same risk factors and don't present? And what he ultimately found in all of the people that he treated was that the thread that people had in common that, had, that he treated or that, that died under his care in hospice were people who had significant emotional disassociation, meaning that 
something had not been right in their emotional world for a long, long time. And eventually, their body paid the price. And I think the research will show you, and my own personal experience um, shows me, and that when we do not deal with the emotion in our lives, when we do not deal with the toxic stress in our lives, when we do not deal with chronic conditions, um, we do create an environment where chronic stress leads to chronic inflammation, which leads to chronic disease. And while we may be able to disconnect our brain and our heart, which I was able to do, frankly, for a very long time in many, many respects, our body is still feeling the physiological effect of that unprocessed emotion or that unprocessed stress or those things that we have not given ourselves permission or received permission to release. And it does get locked in ourselves and it does stay there. And we can only live that way for so long until things start to come out sideways and they come out sideways in the form of disease. We live in a world now that is full of trauma. And there's a recent statistic, an estimated 70% of adults in the United States have a experienced a traumatic event at least once in their lives, and up to 20% of these people go on to develop post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. An estimated 5% of Americans, more than 13 million people, have PTSD at any given time. There's a quote from Peter Levine that says, trauma is not what happens to us, but what we hold inside in the absence of of an empathetic witness. And there's research that says that trauma, while the experience of trauma, whatever calls that, tr- causes that trauma, is incredibly, can be incredibly, incredibly devastating. You can intercede with the, the impact and the long-term consequences of trauma if we step in sooner rather than later and give people the safety and the opportunity to process what is happening to them. And yet, we live our lives running around doing everything we can to give trauma a voice. We are not giving our trauma room to heal. We are compounding it and magnifying it in our world by refusing to acknowledge it. And our denial is toxic. Our emotional disassociation is creating disease. Now, I'm not suggesting that we let our emotions take over um, and ruin our lives You know, I'd spend a lot of time with my kids saying, what you feel is valid. What you feel is real. And you have a choice about how you respond to what you feel. The reality is that an actual emotion only lasts for about 90 seconds if we give it room to breathe. What happens is we feel the emotion and then we tell the story to ourselves about why we're feeling that way or whose fault it is or what we wish were different. Um, And it's the story that wraps around the emotion that actually makes it stick around longer. That's what creates the churn. That creates the stuck. But the emotion itself is actually almost harmless. Now, it may not be unpleasant. And I am not, I've, I've experienced a lot of unpleasant emotions over the last three years. And I'm here to tell you that even the deepest, darkest, most overwhelming emotions that you may experience cannot swallow you whole. They feel like they can, but they can't. They won't swallow you whole. 
I am suggesting that the only way to remove the power of the emotions that we feel and their potential for toxicity in our lives and our relationships is to let them flow in ourselves and in others. What would happen if we stopped denying our own experience? What would happen if we stopped denying the experience of others? One of the most powerful practices, and this is a practice that I did learn in the Timbo program when I was able to attend it, is the practice of holding space for myself and for others. And as I practice this in my own life, I am constantly reminded how many of us don't. We don't hold space for others and we don't hold space for our own pain. When people tell us how they feel, hold space. Holding space is sitting there quietly. Not even empath you can empathize if you have, you know, a common tie there, a true thread of empathy. It's not feeling sorry for someone. It's not trying to fix someone. It's not trying to tell them what they should, shouldn't, can, can't do about how they feel. It is actually just sitting there and saying, I'm holding space with you to feel what you feel, to experience what you're experiencing, and to know that you're not alone as you do it. So when people tell us how they feel, hold space. When people tell us what happened to them, hold space. When people tell us why they are afraid or sad, hold space. And when people tell us that they're happy, hold space. Hold space for the good emotions, the positive emotions too. Don't fix. Don't rage. Don't judge or blame or preach. Don't tell them that what they feel is wrong or why they are wrong or why they deserved it. Don't tell them they don't have a right to feel what they feel. Don't tell them that they got themselves into this mess. Don't project your own fears or bias or solutions or judgments onto them. You don't know. You don't know what's going on in their heart and their mind right then. But you do, as a human, have that common connection and that common thread of understanding what it's like to feel pain. Give them a moment to feel what they feel, to feel fully seen, valued, and validated in that moment. Just be with them. You can be with them virtually. You can send them love and light. You don't have to be in the room. And if you have the energy and grace in that moment, hold space and breathe light for them. Hold space and breathe unconditional love. Hold space and breathe healing. And if not a breath, then a wish. I get some of my friends give me a hard time because I say breathe often. And some of that's just a reminder for myself. But taking a deep breath helps our body's physiology realize that we're really okay. And so it, has a, it is a powerful, powerful practice, an ally. And if not a breath, then a wish for them, for you, and for the world around you. It is often easier to start this practice with other people, frankly. Um, it takes intentionality and practice to find that same compassion within ourselves and for ourselves because we're often much harder on ourselves than we are on others. And I think Brene Brown says something to the effect of, we see vulnerability as strength and courage in other people and in weakness in ourselves. 
So sometimes it's easier to start that practice, to start the practice of holding space, to hold it for others. And yet the more we do it for other people, the more we have an awareness and an opportunity to do it for ourselves as well. Perhaps in the contrast to the Spock that was living in my own head, I was able to generate a high level of empathy for others, a true kindness and compassion, and an ability to see possibility in people, often to the extent of seeing more in others than they saw in themselves. It was okay if everybody else was human, but not me. And for years, I was not able to extend that kindness, compassion, and grace to myself. Somebody told me once that I was an expert in self-flagellation, and it was a true statement. But as I speak today, I know that I'm going to spend the rest of my life learning to be more fully human, choosing to step into space with other people, to hold space for their pain, to hold space for their truth, and to hold space for their healing. When we give people that gift, and when we give ourselves that gift, We learn to be a better friend, a better parent, a better leader, a better member of our community. Only in embracing our humanity will we have the opportunity to bring our fullest light to the world and hopefully to heal some of the pain and anger and anguish and the things that are driving us apart today. For more information about the topics I've covered today, you will find links to resources in the show notes. And for more information about the work I do with individuals, groups, and organizations, please go to boothandrews.com. You can also find me on Facebook at Booth Andrews and on Instagram and Twitter at KnoxLight. That's K-N-O-X-L-I-G-H-T. Thank you for listening today. And if you haven't already, please hit subscribe and remember to rate this podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. I look forward to being back with you next time. This has been a Humble Pod production. Stay humble.